Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It's giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said amen. amen. Let me prophesy to you today. God will give you insight and direction in Jesus' name. Amen. The word will come to you and give you light. It will make things that were dark clear to you. Amen. And to make you know the will of God in every situation. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Alright, the Lord is good. Before you sit down, please greet five people. Five. And don't tell me one man will be like five people. And if you cannot get up because you are pregnant, call them to come and greet you where you are. Yo. Are wise. Tell the person God will give you understanding today. Yes, tell the person the Lord will give you understanding. The Lord will give you understanding. The Lord will give you understanding. In the name of Jesus Christ. Alright. Let's take our seats. Alright. Now let's continue again from the book of um, Revelations chapter... Um, okay, let's just start again from Revelation chapter 2. I've been looking at um, the letter, uh, let me just say the message of the Lord Jesus to the church as a whole, and we're taking it from the different letters that were written, dictated to John, in that book of Revelations to the seven churches. And each one of them, he will say, let him that hear, take heed to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The letters were to um, a group but the response was required from each individual. The letters went to each church, a group of people, but God expected the response from each person that will read the letters. That is, if you go and read the letter to the church in Ephesus as an individual, take your own instructions from them, uh, from it. If you read the one to the church in Pergamum, take your own personal instructions from it. And this is the reason so that you will not be judged. Bear that in mind. We've been looking at that. Judgment comes in different levels. The best, the easiest, the first level of judgment is personal judgment. You judge yourself. You correct yourself. And that's what we are doing. If we don't correct ourselves, the Lord will have to correct us. And the correction of God, the Bible says, actually seems grievous, which means it is painful to the body. It's not something that anybody should want. However, it's still good because it's for correction. Alright? But then, if we don't succeed, that is, the Lord doesn't succeed in correcting us, then He will have to judge us with the world. We have looked at that again and again. So what we are doing is that, looking at those things that the Lord wants corrected in our individual lives and in His body as a whole. So we are looking at them, alright, bit by bit here and there. And so let's go back again to the church in um, Pergamum. We read those two last time, Pergamum and Thyatira. And I think I'm going to read them again today. Uh, before we go on. And the angel in the church of Pergamum writes, the one who has the, okay, verse 12. The one who has the two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast. That is, even though you dwell there, you still hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith 
Even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, my faithful one who was killed among you. Of course, that was persecution. All right, it was during persecution where Satan dwells. In verse 14, it says, But I have a few things against you. Now, let me just revise that briefly. Even though your life may be good, always look out for the things that may not be perfect so you can make improvement. He said, He that bears fruit, I will prune that it might bear more fruit. He that bears fruit, I will prune. Let me just say this. You can miss the trials of your life that will have come upon you if you take time out to be corrected personally. Are you getting my point? Every trial of the believer is approved by the Lord so that the person might improve. So one easy way to omit the trials and temptations that will come into your life, that might have come into your life sometime in life, is to make sure you're always learning and praying and correcting yourself. The reason why David had to kill Uriah, the reason why David had to commit adultery with Bathsheba, the reason why all of those things happened to David was because David thought he was a good man. If David had recognized that I should pray, it was after problem, you know, like we say, after Yahweh done gas, after problem had come into his life, that he began to pray, search me, O Lord. You are getting my point? If he had prayed that prayer earlier, okay, Uriah would have survived. Bathsheba, <laughs> Uriah would have died from something else if he had to die. But David, no, no, it's not David that would have killed him. Uh, killed him. But God had needed David to go through that so that David wouldn't pass into eternity a faulty person. Very important. And that's what God is doing in this life. He's pruning all of us removing all the rough edges because by the time we exit this life, in each individual, he will have accomplished something. So what the Lord expects is that, listen, this is what you will do. You will assess your life periodically. That will save you from trials. That will save you from loss of money. That will save you from loss, unnecessary break in relationships. That will save you from, you know, health problems. Believe me, many people it will save them from premature death. It will. It will save so many people from premature death. You know, we say it all the time in English language. It's only a fool that learns only from his own mistakes. We learn from the mistakes of others. My brother, Pastor Courage, will always say, we learn from our elders, those who went to ministry ahead of us, both what to do and what not to do. You know, I will get back to reading in a moment, just like saying this again. That's why if you are not a keen observer and a keen learner as a believer, you are doing yourself a lot of disservice. How many of us have heard this expression before? And of course, when you are judging things in life, always know what the thing is saying. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, right? Consider her ways and be wise. They told you how to consider her ways. It's not in everything you con- you be like the ant are you getting my point? He said, be wise as what? Serpent. But don't be harmful like serpents. Be harmless as what? Doves. That is so you see, you pick each thing. Now, the reason I'm saying that. In life, see, sometimes you hear things like um, uh, Thomas Edison tried what? The electric bulb. I've heard all kinds of things. But everybody agreed that he tried that thing hundreds and hundreds of times. Some say thousands. The smallest I've heard is 1,000. The biggest I've heard is 10,000. Alright? And there is a lesson in what? Perseverance. 
It's a lesson in perseverance. It's a lesson in persistence. It's a lesson in what? Never give up. Be dogged. Be determined. Don't, don't, don't let your goal go away from you. Hold on to your goal. Guru, guru, like that. I don't want to discourage you. I know many men. I know many. At least I have one in mind now. Who doggedly held on to their goal until they died. I know what happened. Nothing. Why? They were trying to do something that was basically impossible. So you can doggedly follow what is wrong. Now, but that's not my lesson actually for today. The one part many people have not heard is that Nikola Tesla said, he used to work with, uh, with um, Thomas Edison. He said that a lot of Thomas Edison's labor was foolish labor. That the problem with Edison is that he would never sit down to think. We, we don't hear that part of it. He said that, this, uh, that Thomas Edison works like a bee. If you tell him there is a needle in this haystack, Thomas Edison will go and pick each straw one by one until he finds the needle. He won't settle down and say, where could the needle possibly be? That was a criticism of him by a man that worked with him. Look, Nikola Tesla was a formidable competition to him later. Actually, he ran DC out of the market with his own invention of AC, alternative current. Just that, of course, he was not the smart businessman that Thomas Edison was. There are many other things he did. The point I'm going to make is this. Don't expect to go through life just being dogged and not being a thinker. So what do you do? You don't just go out to go and be making mistakes. Watch those who are in front of you. Read books. Many times I see preachers these days, no? Pardon me, I'm always using preachers as an example because that's the area where I'm involved and I have some skill and my heart is there. So when I look at them, I say, this guy obviously does not plan to last in ministry. Why? Simply because I have read Kenneth Higgins' stories. Revelations God gave him about other ministers. Things in his own personal life. And then I read the God's Generous by Robert Sliadon. And I've read many people's books. A book like John Alexander Dowie. The story of his life by Gordon Lindsay. I've read that book. I've read many books like that. So I'll find areas where people made mistakes that a bank is not supposed to make. Some of the men I admire the most, I picked some mistakes in their lives that I must not make. Of all the preachers I ever lived, I don't think there's any one that I admire more than John Graham Lake. I don't think there's any. You may not hear me quote him as much, but I don't think there's any. But I looked at his life. I said, in this area, sir, you're on your own. Why? I have seen that in this particular area. Now, he didn't do something evil. I'm not saying, sir, in this area of taking somebody's wife, you're on your own. No, he didn't do anything like that. That's not what I mean. It was in his dedication to ministry. There was a dedication in heart to ministry in a particular way that I said this was not wise. He was relatively young when one day everybody woke up and he did not wake up. He died a few days later. He was just in his 60s. Listen, for the amount of power that passed through that man's hands, I was not happy he died that early. I mean, it's not that you are going to live in this life forever. But I looked and said, ah, why did things go like this? 
and I meditated and I thought about it. Well, the things I've learned, I will share along the line, but I will not say this exactly why, what I think about that area in his life, all right? I may not say that. I've learned many things, and I'll share them. But I picked my reason, just put some things together and say, this area, you don't copy this man as much as you love him. Very important. And it's not because I just made up my mind. I read other people's stories. I read the Bible. For example, I hear preachers talk as if, what are you doing resting? Recently, I was still in, one, in, in a program, and the pastor was, look, you want to live forever? There is work to do. What are you saying you are going to rest? What are you resting for? Once they start saying it, I'm looking at them and say, sir, you're your own. Why? The Lord Jesus sent people out. They came back. The same Jesus who said the harvest is plentiful, liberals are few. So what garners do you have for ministry that Jesus did not understand? The same Jesus said the laborers are what? They are few. Yet when the people came back, they were eager to go for the next mission. He said, come aside and rest for a while. When there was a turmoil, when there was turmoil on the boat, on the sea, he was sleeping. He didn't close his eyes to pretend. Or God was asleep. So, I have a rule. I don't care whether souls are perishing. doesn't mean I must perish too. I am going to sleep. I bet it will make me look, look, I say, I say, I say, I mean, look, what are you doing sleeping? I'll tell you what I'm doing sleeping. I'm resting. It is vain for a man of God to rise up early, to go to bed late. If he does that, his ministry is growing by sorrows. Yes, that's what the Bible says. Eating the bread of sorrows. The Bible says the Lord gives to his beloved even while he sleeps. I'm advising you read the stories of people who have gone ahead of you so that you don't have to make their mistakes. The more you learn deliberately, the less the trials you have to go through in life. Now let's continue reading. We have to keep improving. We have to keep, you know, getting better in different aspects of life. So the Lord said to them in verse 14, even though you are doing okay, I have a few things against you. Why do I have that? He said, because you have there some, not all of you, some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. He taught them to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. That's what he taught Balak to do. So you, he said, so you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We don't know what exactly their teachings were, but some feel that they must have been close to the teaching of Balaam. Therefore he says, repent, or else I am going to quick, I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He said, to him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. He now said in verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira writes, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire. And we read this before, that's why I'm jumping like this. All right? He said, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, jump to verse 19, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith, good people, and service and perseverance. 
and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. That is, you are improving in the way you are doing things. Your life is getting better. And the Lord was actually impressed with that, you know, concerning that. The Lord was very impressed. He now said to them, now which verse are we now? I'd like to just refer to that again um, in New Living Translation. So I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Very important. That pleased the Lord. And I said in verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Just by the way, the previous church too, the word was not used, but it was there. Not all of them held to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Not all of them followed the teaching of Balaam. Okay? But the rest of them tolerated those, those who held on to those teachings. That's part of the problem. Here, the whole church tolerated one woman, a prophetess, where she calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my born servants astray. The result of that is that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Now, please, mark the word immorality. I will speak about it in a moment. He said, Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her. Mark the word adultery there. Again, I'll speak about it. I'll throw those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. Notice that they can avoid, they could have avoided the great tribulation by repenting or following her. She could have avoided her bed of affliction if she would repent. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say here? Okay? He said, I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that the devil has come into them to start killing people. Is that what he said? (laughs) Which is what we Christians would have loved to say. It's the devil. But Jesus said, I will kill her children with pestilence. And then everybody will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known these so-called deep things of Satan, all right? I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I have also received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. And it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And basically today going to expand this further, which was what we discussed last time. I just feel like I have not released everything that uh, we are supposed to learn in this particular um, area. Now I said something last time, I think I should go over that again. I strongly suspect Jezebel here, was not the name of that person. That's what I think. I'm not being dogmatic about it. Maybe somebody decided to call herself Jezebel. Are you getting my point? I don't know. But I suspect that was not her real name. I suspect the Lord gave her the name Jezebel to describe her. I suspect that the Lord just gave her that name so that people will know I mean, what she represents. And as a matter of fact, everybody knew what he was talking about. But I want us to understand some that these things are to be applied, all right, to our lives. Like I told you, Mark, a number of words. When he talked about her immorality and her adultery, those who commit adultery with her, I want to just explain those words briefly. There's literal immorality, 
physical, sexual immorality, and there is, of course, part of it, adultery. But it's deeper than that. If you read the Bible, the expression adultery is usually applied by God to people who, first of all, fundamentally, who depart from their God and go to another God. That's the first thing. And that's why when I, I told you about my, my book, Worship and Sex Control, that's what I tried to explain in that book, even though it's not fully finished yet. It's supposed to have released years ago. I just not gotten back to it. Now, what I'm trying to bring out is that that is the fundamental principle behind physical sexual immorality. Societies that deny God or worship God with hypocrisy, it's always there amongst them. They cannot control the spirit of sexual immorality. It is impossible. These are spiritual forces. Now, because people lost a lot of control, all right, when those spirits took them over, they had to rearrange the laws so that the things that were wrong will now become things that are right. That's why I find the world all the time. And they will keep on winning those battles. They go to court and say, okay, um, go to their legislative houses, legi- you know, remove uh, homosexuality. First, they decriminalized it. Usually, in Nigeria, it's still a crime. It's still a crime in Nigeria. In many of those countries, it was a crime too. But first, you decriminalize it. Then, you normalize it. Now, you say, what's the difference? Let me explain what I'm trying to say. For example, if you are blind, it's not a crime, right? But it's not normal. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. You know, if you have, if you're born, for example, with a hole in the heart, like we say, is that a crime? No. But it's not normal. So we will try and correct it medically. Now, that's how sexual deviancy, that's how, when I started um, studying them in our um, early classes in school, we had to do medical psychology. And then it was still a disorder. Before I graduated, books had been rewritten that extracted it from being a disorder. So many of the things that you find now, then, of course, homosexuality, you know, bestiality, you know, pedophilia, a lot of lists of it that we had to learn as disorders. But by the time I was graduating from school, they were no longer disorders. The people had gone in and normalized them. Then after that, beyond normalizing those things, they now popularized them, throw them in your face, and start encouraging people, come out of the closet. Don't be a secret homosexual. Now, the truth is that that had to happen. Why? Because the people departed from God. When you depart from God, it will happen. You can't control it. And the Christians are always fighting a losing battle. When they want to compel the society to retain things that were founded upon the knowledge of God and make them laws, you will eventually lose the battle. The only way you will not lose that battle is if you pray for a revival in the land and you continue to preach the truth and practice it. And if you have enough numbers of you in the place, you will, you will find that the Bible calls being the salt of the earth. You will not have the effect. Your saltness will have effect in that society. But you cannot compel the society that has totally denied God to maintain his morality. It doesn't work. It just takes like one or two generations. They throw away God's morality. Now, so like we said last time, creed shapes conduct. If you find a church where people are dishonest, they cheat in business, all right, they are committing sexual immorality, don't look further. Just look at that pulpit. That pulpit is dirty. That pulpit is bad. Something is wrong on the pulpit. That's a matter of fact. People are preaching wrong doctrines. People are releasing a negative effect from that altar. What they are doing is that they are teaching things that are not right. 
Because if they were teaching things that were right, people who did not want to conform would be uncomfortable. And eventually, they will leave. Are you getting my point here? And those who stay will be transformed by the word. That's just the way it works. Many churches people go to these days, they are founded on idolatry. And you see what I mean in a moment. People may not come and put a, 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 an idol, basketball there and say bow to it. But the one thing that's common is these days is that people, churches are founded on personal agenda. They are founded on love of money. Those things constitute still idolatry. You are getting what I'm not explaining here. And that's the reason why the spirit of, there's what the Bible calls the spirit of harlotry. It now enters into the place. So that spirit of harlotry is what the problem is. Is that spirit is released upon people and they do not have a choice but participate in harlotry. That's why God said that I will not judge their children, their daughters, their young wives when those ones become harlots. Why? He said because the spirit of harlotry is upon the people. Why? Because of the doctrines and behaviors of the fathers. That's how it works. So when you see the Lord speaking like this, please bear that in mind. Okay? So it's not just about physical immorality. It starts with a foundational problem. Like I was explaining last time, which I'm trying to build up on, on again today, is that I believe that that woman, Jezebel, was a teacher of wrong doctrine. That's the interesting thing. And I think part of the reason why the Lord said to her, uh, said concerning her, that she calls herself her prophetess, and calls herself a prophetess, is that her doctrines were founded upon prophecies. She will say, the Lord spoke to me. Are you getting my point here? She controlled people with the law spoke to me. All right? And let me say something here. I, I, I want us for a moment to look away from this Jezebel as a woman. Because this Jezebel is a spirit. Because you see, Balaam was not a woman. Had the same spirit. Can you see? If you look at these two churches, Pergamum and Thyatira, about the same thing, even the reward that Jesus was saying he would give them, I saw them as about the same. He said, I will give him a name, a white stone with a name written on it, which nobody knows apart from the person that receives it. He said, okay, what, what's the relationship between that and the other one that says, I will give him authority? Anytime you hear of name, name represents authority. These two churches, about the same thing. That's what I'm saying. Alright? So you see, Balaam in one place, it was not a woman. In the other place is Jezebel. So for the purpose of our own lessons, let's look at them as spirits. These people were releasing negative spirits into the body of Christ. And people were tolerating these spirits. Please, like I said, what I'm going to say today, just amplify what I said last time. Today I'm going to try and focus it more on prevention. How not to fall for these people. How not to fall for these spirits. Let me say something to you. God holds you personally accountable for your life. Look, the Lord said to a man, go to Israel. Go and prophesy against the altars of Jeroboam. This young prophet went there. An old prophet, of course, the Lord said to him, when you get to that place, don't eat in that place. When you get to that place, don't return the same way you came. Don't drink water there. This man went there, manifested the power of God, just as the Lord had, you know, of course, the Lord backing him with signs and wonders. Then what happened? After he left, he rested somewhere. An old prophet was told, all right? A politician prophet was told. A prophet who had become influential and prosperous in society was told. A young man of God came here 
and look at the power of God that was manifested. The king listened to him. So this man got up and said, let me track him down. He got there and he said, follow me back. He said, sir, good afternoon, bishop. I'm a young pastor, but I cannot follow you back. Why? Because your Lord and mine said, I'm not to go back the way I came. I'm not to eat in the place. And that man said to him what? Oh, God actually said to me. That's why Jezebel called herself a prophetess. Are you getting my point? She subverts the written word of God by prophetic utterances. Watch out. Anybody prophesies, sees visions that's not founded upon the word of God, just ignore it. One of the things God will do for you is to develop oboju against prophecy. You need it in this day and age. I call it oboju against prophecy. That the man will tell you, thus is the Lord. You say, please excuse me, go and sit down. I told you, look, when, we fought, you know, when my wife was married to me, in fact, that she married me was an act of faith. One day she told me that you are the strangest Christian I've ever met. But I was respected in our circles. They called me Pastor Banky, so she tolerated me. Because they will say some things. I said, I beg, forget that thing. And one man of God said this one. I said, that's his problem. I'm not listening to him. They will come with one big vision and revelation. I'll tell her, I said, look, this was both before we married and shortly after we married. I tell her, I said, look, okay, forget this vision. Some of them smoke before they sleep. They will start that the boat they use is waking them up at night. They call it vision. And she was like, what gives you the boldness to talk like this? I told you the one I went once one day. A man was in front giving a testimony, powerful testimony, a powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I pinched my wife. I said, he's lying. My wife looked like, he's lying. I said, yes, he's lying. She looked at me, what do you mean he's lying? I said, the God that you and I serve doesn't behave like that. I said, this story he has told cannot be true. I said, baby, can't you see he's trying to raise money? When they're trying to raise money, stories know the end. No, really. Christianity, yeah. you see where I'm going? I told my wife, look, that story is a lie. I didn't know it's a lie. I said, what am I supposed to take from it? That God behaves like that? You raise shoulder for God? <laughs> Let's not go over there again. Let's not go there again. Just by the way, anyway, let me not go there. Because if I get there, I can't preach my message today. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. No, it, it, no it's not understanding. They say God is slow to anger. Because we have provoked him for so long. And believe me, slow to anger is not never gets angry. Slow is just what? Slow. Normal person go vexed by 6 a.m. God waits till 6 p.m. And one major reason why he's slow to anger, he knows that when he's angry, the earth they shake. You know, when I'm angry like this, I'm quick to anger. Lord is helping me, all right? But when I'm angry, what happens? Nothing. <laughs> Have you not been angry in traffic before? What did you do? Nothing. After making all the noise, he went home. Told the man, next time, there won't be any next time. We forget it. But when God is angry, let me tell you the truth. When David provoked him to anger, 70,000 people died in a day and a half. When Indonesia provoked him to anger, 250,000 died in a day. When Israel provoked him to anger, 17,000 died in a few hours. So that's why he likes his slow to anger, because he knows when he's angry, people will start blaming the devil. When he was angry with natural Judah, what to call Jews today. 
Six million died in the hands of Hitler. So please, that's why he likes to take his anger slow. But he says, guys, slow it so you can repent too. It's not like I never get to the point of anger. Bear that in mind. Why am I telling that story? That old prophet told the young prophet that, listen, God said I should bring you back. I'm telling you this story because God holds you personally responsible for your life. The young prophet forsook the word of God and followed the old prophet back. That old prophet served him food, he sat down and ate. In obedience to the old prophet, against the express word of God, the sure word of prophecy that came to him directly, never do anything that violates your conscience. Let me tell you something. Paul said, I know that dangerous wolves will come out from there to devour the flock. You think these people that call themselves men of God are your friends? Many of them are wolves. <laughs> wolves. They are out there. There are plenty these days. Don't give a hoot about your soul. What they are looking for is not what you, what, not what you are thinking. Messages manufactured to manipulate Christians. See, I'm a preacher. I know these things. When I talk like this, I have no beef against anybody. I just need to save myself and those who listen to me. I, I, I got my reputation early enough. Everybody left me alone. They tell you, I, I, say, I want you to tell the people to sow a seed. I say, you are the pastor. Go and do it yourself. So that when God wants to kill you, I will be alive. <laughs> No, you know, you know, you know the people you you run with. I mean, I, I don't run in that group, so everybody they let me alone from this years ago. So I'm cool now. People know the kind of mad things I say, and when they invite me, they expect me to say it. It's true. There are a lot of wolves out there. Back to my story. This man went back. This is a painful part. That same man, that line, the Bible says that, but he lied to him, and that man prophesied again. That because you have disobeyed the word of God. Listen to me. The young prophet died because he listened to the old prophet. As a young believer, when I first read that thing, it pained me. You know, there are times you are looking at God. You want to be angry with him. You were there when they were lying to this boy. You were there. Why did you not stop them from lying to him? I learned a number of things from it. One, God holds you personally responsible for your life. He will judge the other man in his own time. But he holds you personally responsible for your life. If you believe a lie, that's your problem. That is why I don't let visions sway me. Jezebel operates based on visions. The only way Jezebel can go against what God has said to everybody is that she has to tell you it's a vision. She has to tell you that she dreamt and went to heaven and did not see women that had hair extensions and jewelry. She has to say that because she cannot explain that based on the written word of God. And it's going to make all the women in town afraid. That's the only way Jezebel operates. Jezebel has to come and tell you that I dreamt, I had the revelation, I will not have a word, a scripture to back what she's saying. That is why when I say God holds you personally responsible for your life, you know, Christians are very funny. <laughs> when you tell them, look, let's go and hear the word of God, they are busy. 
When I see your face, I prophesy, they run there. And so the pastors now realize that the way you gather a crowd is to promise them prophecy. So they start prophesying, tosses the Lord when the Lord said nothing. And the Lord says, my people like it so. That is why I will judge them. I will have to judge them for disobedience to my written word because they love the lying prophecies. That's a matter of fact. I was telling you about my wife and I those days. People will say some things. I say, baby, it can't be true. Say, why is it not true? I say, because the Bible doesn't talk like that. After I when she began to see things I had already seen too. I wife too became hard. If you are prophesying now, she's too, she's looking at you. When you have finished prophesying, she will check, this is your prophecy, does it line with scripture? If she lines with scripture, she will nod, amen. But if you start saying one that God didn't say, if you were telling me one day they were in a particular place, one person was preaching powerfully, and the person swayed the message to see, she just said, ah, she shouted, don't go there now. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Eh? Avoid doctrines that are based on stories. Avoid doctrines based on stories. In Catalonia, when Portacot, he woke up at night, switched, you know, stumbled into a church channel. And this man preached for one hour. He said he was waiting for him to explain from scriptures what he was saying. But the man had not one verse of the word of God to buttress his point, but he has so many stories to tell. So everybody will pray, God, show me the story of my life. Start another story. There was one man, his head was always tumbling up and down. And when I saw him, I said, pray, God, show me the story of my life. And he dreamt that when he was born, his father put a palm kernel inside the shigidi and they shook it, shook it. And that's why, so they had to go and look for the village and break the shigidi and remove the palm kernel and say, hmm, this world is dangerous. You can say one full hour. He was watching. And I felt sorry for him because me, I was sleeping. <laughs> I was in my room next door, fast asleep. I don't mean to you know, look, like, look like a troublemaker. Most people who raise money, you know, it's based on stories. I released this word when I was in the nature. One man came and said, this is my children's school fees. But the next week, God built him a school. And you see a bunch of muguns go and collect their children's school fees, refund everything, give to the man. I passed on nature. One year later, no new school has been built. You know what I don't understand about people? Why they don't get tired? But you know, as I was just saying that, why do they get tired? I just got the answer. He said, what's the answer? <laughs> he says, the Lord said, Banky, do they get tired of playing lottery? <laughs> How many people have won lottery? They hardly win lottery. But don't they continue playing? <laughs> to them, it's lottery. Just continue giving this seed. One day, it will germinate. <laughs> Listen to me. Not just by the way, like I keep on saying, I always like to add the second side to it. Every Christian make generosity a habit. What did I say? Make generosity a habit. It must be your lifestyle. Please go and read my book, How to Work for God, Who Will Pay for This, and Grace to Prosper. 
In three of them, you will find the analysis of how you should give. Make giving a habit. And don't expect anything in return. It's a very important point. Never expect anything in return. Sow your seed and forget it. What if I need something? Ask the Lord in the name of Jesus. If you plant a seed so that he can answer you, you weaken the name of Jesus. Jesus does not need help. Make up your mind. You don't play safe with God. You walk by faith. Now let's just add this one to it. Jesus said, eh. What? No, let me tell you something. What are you implying? When you do some of these things, you have said to God, if I ask you in the name of Jesus, you won't answer. That's what you have said. You know? In the um, Niger Delta, where I went to collect a wife from, I learned one thing there. You know, in Igbo land, you bring cola, and cola is cola, right? In Niger Delta, it's not like that, though. Cola there is unstable. When you put cola down in Niger Delta, it will roll. So to prevent from rolling, you always wedge it. So they have special equipment for wedging cola. And that equipment is called what? Apostle. Money. <laughs> You know, you, you've seen all the time, you know, I mean, we went for weddings today, they present cola. The only problem with Igbo man's cola is that he doesn't understand English. <laughs> Worry cola, Yoruba man's cola, German's cola. The problem is not language, it's stability. <laughs> it rolls. So when you put cola down there, you don't just put cola down. You, you put... You wedge it. And then, of course, you know the way it is. Those who now came, come with you now say that, ah, sir, that wedge is not strong enough. They now start supporting. And, you know, in case you say, ah, that is nice, let me just warn you. If you have to present your own cola, you double it. I, I, I don't know where you get my point. Let me give you an example. When you want to marry, eh? When you get there, you are a visitor. So you, they will give you cola for arriving. And they start wedging. Everybody will be wedging. The mother go wedge. The uncles go add. Everybody will be supporting, supporting. You now give it to you. Say thank you for coming. You have to. You know, you now see that. Ah, thank you. Your cola is so nice. We also brought cola from our place. You must double wedge. <laughs> if you don't double wedge, you're on your. <laughs> now listen to me. Now you see what are you talking about? I noticed something. The name of Jesus is not cola. In Niger Delta, it doesn't need your offering to wedge it. That's what I'm saying. It works by itself. We behave, you know, some of these things, we don't know where it began from. Some of us, maybe we were from Niger Delta originally, we became preachers, like uh, Pastor Okimote. Now becomes a preacher. So when you finish praying, you will wedge the prayer. You won't know. <laughs> you won't know where his doctrine began. You think it's scripture. No. You won't know that this one are from village. <laughs> now, listen, Christian, listen to me. When you want to pray, ask in the name of Jesus. When you want to give, give generously. Don't tie the two. Please, don't tie the two. Jesus doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. He just teaches generosity as a habit. And when we make generosity a habit... That is when many of the scriptures we have been quoting start applying to us. He that sows generously shall reap generously. You know, that's when it starts applying. 
our minds, our hearts must never be on what we want to, what we want to receive. That's just by the way. But listen, my emphasis. Christians make generosity a habit. The Bible says it's literally more blessed to give. It's more blessed. I know it, this, those were the words of the Lord Jesus. If you have a book that puts the words of Jesus in, let, in red, in that book of Acts, it is written in chapter 20. You just see red will just appear. Like Paul said, we taught you that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give. So make it a habit. It's a good thing. However, please don't let anybody make merchandise of your soul telling stories that are not founded on the word of God. Like I told you these days, when I see these days, when you give a big offering, a man of God say, let me pray for you. He will now say, you lay your hands on me while I pray for you. Personal advice, don't agree. Don't agree. Say, if you can't pray for me like that, forget it. Beware of old prophets. Say, if you can't pray for me like that, forget it. Say, the Lord said to me, so I'm going home. <laughs> while he's still saying it, just leave. The Lord is good. I said all of that to let you know that you are held personally responsible for your life. The old prophet deceived the young prophet. The old prophet survived. Waiting his own day of judgment. The young prophet died that day. Ever since I read that, I realized that my life is my responsibility. Your life is not the responsibility of Papa over your head. Your life is your responsibility. The Lord expects you, when you find Jezebel presenting doctrines that are not founded on scriptures, but founded upon revelations she claims she had, and this Jezebel will say, can be a man. Get out. Just avoid them. If it's, if it's founded on stories, that's why I went there. Because the, what happened, you know, I was saying earlier, last time we said it, I began it again with it today, that when, the Bible, when Jesus was saying that Jezebel was teaching them to commit sexual immorality. It was not as if she came. In fact, the Bible didn't say she came. She said she led them so that, it said led them astray, so that their sexual immorality was a consequence of wrong teaching. It was a product of 40 doctrines. Doctrines based on so-called visions and revelations and not based upon the written word of God. And when people began to follow those things, that was what now ended in sexual immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols, which I talked about last time. What I want to actually focus on today, all right, is what is the defense that you have? Because I'm combining the two, because both of them are very similar. The story of Balaam and that of Jezebel. How do I defend myself? I said something last time, let me say it again. I want to start from there again. The Bible is very rich. It has everything. Principles of physics, you can decipher them from inside the scriptures. Principles of geography, right here. Accounting, all over the place. Customer relations, that one is abundant. Most of the principles that motivational speakers use, they are from the scriptures. Go to the end, thou sluggard. It's one of the most quoted scriptures to motivate people in life. In fact, most successful um, motivational speakers, they have some Christian leaning. Some of them are, they are clear believers. Some of them just speak scriptures and use 
So you find the Bible has all kinds of things. There is no field of life you want to find things. Military, military strategies, right here. You know, Jesus taught it. You look at an army. You have to count the army. Do you have enough? They send for terms of what? Peace. Is there. What's the name of our guy? Joshua. When he attacked Ai the second time, there was strategy he used. You can copy that. So military strategies is right here. Investment strategies, plenty. Now, that is the problem. Because the Bible is so full, people get in there and they drown. They drown in the abundance of resources inside this small book. They drown in the abundance of resources inside this small compilation. How to handle anxieties inside here. A merry heart dwelt good like medicine. The Bible prescribes it. There are all kinds of things. So people pick the Bible and decide that, let me decode principles on diet. 